uh, maybe the race didn't go quite that well for you today. Hey, it's also strange that uh, all television are here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Villainies Podcast. I am Fred Dreyer, uh, joined by Andrew Hood. Hoodie, we shut, we shut the press room down again. Uh, we're here at the Tour of Flanders in a small room uh, overlooking a big thumping party. What's going on outside the window right now, Hoodie? Yeah, we might have shut down the press room, but man, it's going to be a while before the bars of Odenar to shut down. They got, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's Nick Noyens, but somebody's out there throwing down some, you know, mega Euro trash disco music out there. <laughs> yeah, we're in a room overlooking the main square in Odenarda. The Tour of Flanders finished several hours ago, and it is a rockin' Sunday night. People are partying well into the night and um, the Tour of Flanders caps off an entire day of celebration for the Flemish people and we see this bike race start in Antwerp, go all over the country, hit those bergs, finish here in Odenarda and uh, Hoodie, you've been to a lot of races here at the Tour of Flanders. What's going to stand out about this year's race for you? To me, the big takeaway was really how even the field was across the peloton. We saw a pretty hard race. I mean, everyone was coming across the line on the limit, really, I thought. And we saw the big gap, the big split over the mirror, which was kind of a surprise. There was a big, big gap in that bunch. Came back together, and you saw a huge group come into the last lap. And surprise winner. And the big names were not there, and that was a surprise as well. We saw Alberto Bettiol, Team EF Education First, attack like crazy on the final ascent of the Ode Quermont, get a pretty good gap on a group containing lots of the pre-race favorites like Wout Van Aert, Matthew Vanderpool, Greg Van Avermaet, all the quick step riders. And you know, Betiol, this gap, it hung in the measure for pretty much the final 20 kilometers. He went over the Paderberg with, I believe, a 20-second gap. I expected to see the gap come down as these guys really started to mount a chase, but it didn't. And as we all know, after the Paderberg, you have this descent onto some flat, twisty roads, and then usually a headwind section all the way to the finish line. I also expected to see Betty all run out of gas at that point, but you know what? He just put his head down, he tucked down into that time trial position, and just chugged away. And he had enough time at the finish line to take his hands off the bars, raise his hands abroad, and really soak it in, because Hoodie, this is his first win ever. I know, that's, that's the incredible thing about it. Betiel never had won a race in his entire professional career. Uh, but that kind of goes to show, I think, one committed rider against a chase often has the advantage, right? Because we talked to uh, Van Avermaet at the finish line and Peter Sagan, and they both said in that chase group, no one wanted to take the responsibility of the chase. Van Avermaet said, you know, I felt strong. Why am I gonna pull a guy like Christoph or some other guys who are just sitting on the wheel over the Cuaramana and the Paderberg. Why am I going to tell those guys to victory at the finish line to chase down Betiol? And Sagan said the same thing. He goes, you know, if you get three or four guys who are committed on the chase, then you have a good chance about ruining a guy like Betiol. But when you got 10, 15 guys all taking turns, there's no real rhythm in that chase. We saw last year with Chris Froome with the Giro d'Italia. These things can happen, and a solo winner, and to the spoils go the brave, or maybe that's backwards. <laughs> to the brave go the spoils. Yeah, and you know, Betiel, his, one, his victory was a very tactical one in that he was a very smart rider who made it through this first group of riders over the mirror, over some of the early bergs, and uh, he had two teammates with him, Sebastian Langeveld and Sepp Van Marke, 
And Stefan Marka crashed during E3 Bink Bank. He was questionable for this race throughout the week. Uh, they decided to race him just a couple days ago, but the, the decision was he's going to be a domestique, so he's going to be a worker bee. And he really uh, shone in that role because he joined an early attack gained a pretty big advantage on the peloton. And when uh, Betiol and some of the favorites eventually did catch up, he put in these big, huge poles to put Betiol in good position so that he could actually attack on the Quermont. So it was one of those rare occasions where, you know, you hear in cycling, all these people talk about, oh, teamwork and positioning and, you know, a, a group of many can overcome the stars. Uh, when it actually happened, because like Greg Van Avermaet didn't have any teammates up there. Quickstep was down to its last two guys. Uh, Wout Van Aert had one teammate, but he was pretty spent. And EF, you know, the the melted popsicle underdogs. <laughs> underdogs, melted popsicle jersey team actually had the numbers to do something. Yeah, it was an impressive show by the team. You know, EF is not really a frontline favorite for these big races, especially when uh, Seb Van Mark was out. We spoke to him at the start this morning. He said, if this wasn't Tour of Flanders, he would not even had raced today. But he said he didn't want to miss his favorite race. You know, uh, Seb Van Mark's been close before winning this race. And now here comes Betty Ald, who delivers the franchise victory. I think you were saying, Fred, this is now uh, the fourth of five monuments that Jonathan Vauder has managed to win. And tell us some more about the Betty Ald story. You talked to Betty Ald and some of his teammates. Kind of a funny backstory with this guy. Yeah, so uh, I spoke to Vodders. I spoke with uh, some other people around the EF Education First. Well, I, I spoke to them with a lot of other reporters. I, it was not just me having one-on-one chats. Not an chats. exclusive, not an exclusive with no, 10,000 fans? There was a fans, helicopters, a bunch of reporters crammed into a tight space around the bus. And, you know, the team officials, they were all high-fiving and drinking Quermonts and taking selfies and stuff like that. And so the first one we talked to was Andre, Andres Clear, team uh, director, sport director, and he talked about a lot of the tactics that helped set Betty All up for the day and the fact that, you know, Betty All has spent the first half of the season showing everyone how strong he was. He attacked over the, the Poggio at uh, Milano San Remo. He made it into the final group of four at E3 Bink Bank. They knew he was on good form, but it was really this jockeying with Van Mark that put him in the right place. But with Vodders, he told the story of how uh, Betty All came to be on his team, which, you know, Betty All was one of these young Italian riders on the old Leaky Gas Cannondale team, which merged with Vodders' team. I believe that was 2014-2015. And he said Betty All had a lot of talent. He was a racer but he had a hard time keeping the weight down. I think he said, ah, if we could just keep uh, the 15 extra pounds of gnocchi off of Betiol, we knew- We all love gnocchi. We all love gnocchi. We all, we, you know, that he was gonna be a really good bike racer. And at some point, uh, Betiol told him that the culprit behind his pasta addiction was the fact that he lived with his mother and his mom, like all Italian mothers, makes amazing homemade pasta. So he said, ah, oh, the way to counter this is you need to send me to more training camps. Get me away from mommy because mom's food is just too dang good. Let's go have dinner at uh, Mama Bettiole. I'm sure it's very tasty. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got to go find Mama Bettiole. If, if any of the listeners out there uh, know where we can find Mama Bettiole, apparently she lives in Tuscany. We should all go there and have a big, uh, big team dinner. Who did you have that problem when you were growing up? Uh, you know, Mama Hood. Yeah, M- meals I mean, just a little too good. I mean, I was still living in Mama Hood's basement, well into my thirties, <laughs> going into my cycling journalism career. Um, but you know, the big takeaway I think here we also saw some uh, incredible performances by young riders. Again, yeah. it's like it's like a generational change. You know, Van Avermaet, 
you know, early mid thirties now, you know, he might not never win a, uh, a Flanders, uh, you know, Sagan, I mean, Sagan's still Sagan, he's still young, but he wasn't looking as sharp as he normally does, you know, uh, Vanderpool, Betiol, Wout Van Aert, you know, some young guys coming up and it's pretty exciting times for the classics right now. It is. So I think uh, there, there were two big dynamics that we saw today. One was this, yeah, this changing of the guard. So Matthew Vanderpool has this awful looking crash, it's about 60K from the finish. Apparently he struck a planter when he was trying to bunny hop it and damage his wheel. He's coasting to stop and then it looks like he just gets catapulted to the ground. Guess what? Gets a new bike, remounts it, starts a chase, catches the group, blows through the group, gets on the front, and then the Kreuzberg puts in this big attack that helps soften the group for what would uh, happen. Spits out Stebar. Yeah, spits out Stebar for what would happen on the Quermont. Uh, then, you know, the other dynamic, though, is quick step. So we have, you know, Matthew Vanderpool and Wout Van Aert coming into their own Alberto Betiel. And yet, quick step, the team that so often dominates this race and the other cobblestone races, just didn't really have it today, Hoodie. I mean, you were around the quick step bus afterwards. What were people talking about? But they still finished second. Yeah. They still got the podium. Casper uh, uh, Askren, uh, young kid, 24-year-old, his first Flanders. Man, boom, he's on the podium. So the big stars weren't there, but I think it really sh- ex- shows the depth of quick step. They had 11, 12 guys who were on the short list to race the big Flanders and Robe Classics. This Osgreen kid was going so well during the lead-up races that Wilfred Peters decided to tap him to replace uh, Seneschal, who was the rider last year on the winning team with uh, Nicky Terpstra. Uh, they tipped this kid, and he had a, what an amazing race this guy had. He was following the breakaways. I mean, his job was to follow breakaways, cover breakaways, and then just pull to the final Quermont. He said he was just feeling great. He got on the wheel of uh, Van Barl coming across some of the late moves and then found himself just following the wheels, trying to always just stay with that group. It's what you do if you're a rider, you support rider, you just stay with that group. You never know what's gonna happen. Once they got down to those flats, uh, it's kind of a funny story. He was uh, talking about how he'd never raced Flanders, how his childhood hero was Philippe Joubert. And now here he is, he has to pinch himself every time he's uh, in a team camp. He goes, look, man, here I am racing with freaking Joubert. I'm on his team now. Hits the flats, they're coming in. And at that point, Betiol was gone. And so they said, of course, the, the option there for us was Yves Lampert, Belgian national champion, to win the bunch, reduce bunch sprint, to take second. So he takes a big pull off the front on his wheel by Jungles. Jungles looked around, saw no one was behind him. He sat up, gapped, gave uh, Osgren that uh, gap, and he just kept going. And no one could catch him, and he got the second place. So he saves it for Quick Step, but you're right, Quick Step. Kind of fumbled today a little bit. Stebar got popped, as you were mentioning earlier, in that big, big move coming towards the last uh, Quermont. And uh, Javert was kind of sick. He got gapped out early. You know, is this the end of Quick Step? I don't think so because they're so deep. They have so many young guys coming up, and you still have Ala Philippe, man. He won Valencia and Remo. Well, Hoodie, I think we have to talk about it. One of the big surprises of the day was Peter Sagan. Uh, he won this race two years ago. You know, he hasn't been looking as sharp and as strong as he normally is for these cobblestone classics. He, at his press conference, alluded to maybe that's because he's really trying to target Liege, Bastogne, Liege. But you know, the thing about the Tour of Flanders is that it's so long, so hard and so tactical that if you're not at your absolute peak performance, it's going to show. 
And for me, that really showed a saga, both on that final time up the Quermont and then the final time up the Paderberg. We saw some of these springy, explosive riders like Vanderpool and Betiol spring away from the group, whereas Sagan, he just was kind of chugging along mid-group. We've seen him have those afterburners before, seen him spring away from really strong riders on both of these climbs, and today, it just seemed like he was sort of like stuck in second gear or something. Well, that's right. I mean, he even admitted it. We talked to him at the team bus afterward. He says, yeah, I'm not the same Peter Saga on the One Flanders in 2016. You know, he was he got sick coming into uh, coming. He was at a high altitude training camp in Sierra Nevada. Got sick. You know, at this level, you miss that one or two percent. You're going to notice it. Um, he got fourth at San Remo, almost got a podium there, but you're right, he's, he's not been the same Peter Sagan. You know, maybe Peter Sagan, maybe he's kind of changing as a rider. When last year we saw him win Robay, which is a kind of race that is just pure power and brawn all the way to, the, to uh, across the cobbles. And now you're just seeing younger guys who kind of have that spark and that explosivity that Sagan had a few years ago. You know, so maybe we're seeing a different kind of Sagan emerge. You know, he was uh, philosophical a bit at the, at the bus. He was like, yeah, I'm not as good as I used to be, but I'm still close. I mean, even like a, quote, bad Sagan is still better than most of the guys in the race. He could still, you know, he still has that base strength that he can just follow those wheels. He get gapped out on those last climbs a little bit, but he still has a strength and experience to dig his way back into that group. And, um, you know, of course, it's not the end of the Sagan era. But, you know, who knows? I mean, this is, everyone was saying the same thing last year at the same exact point. Oh, Sakon hasn't done anything. And then, boom, he wins. Uh, well, he won Game Muglum last year. And then he wins uh, Robay. So it's not done. And he has intentions of pedaling into the Ardennes this year and just kind of test the waters there a little bit. But their, their peak was still San Remo through Robay. He'll be strong next week for sure. Well, you were in perfect positioning, as perfect positioning is often important for the Tour of Flanders hoodie. You were in perfect positioning at the Bora Hansgrove bus when Sagan came out, gave some comments, and uh, we picked that up on the audio. So let's hear from Peter Sagan right now. How did your race go today? Was it the same Peter Sagan we've seen in the years past? Mm, I don't think so. And also, the race style it was uh, a lot of difference from past years, and. Uh, the race was open after uh, yeah 150 kilometers to go, and uh, yeah it was very hard race, and uh, I think uh, yeah Betty all just uh, take all the chances, and uh, he surprised everybody how strong he is, and uh, also uh, Wonderpool and uh, Greg was uh, very strong today, but in the end nobody did a big difference at uh, least Betty all yeah. Oh well, how I said, uh, it was pretty hard race, you know. Yesterday we spoke in press conference, you never know how the race is going. And uh, today it was just, you know, example that uh, it was uh, very hard. And uh, I, I, yeah, for sure I'm not like, uh, I don't know, three years ago. But uh, still, my campaign, campaign here in uh, Belgium and... Uh, the next classics are coming, then uh, I'm very confident and uh, I can uh, get better because I lose a lot when I was sick in uh, Sierra Nevada and then uh, I think it's coming. Peter, what happened on the flats? Well, it was corporate. No, it was not because uh, everybody we stay in the front like the leaders from the team. <laughs> and uh, everybody just, uh, you know, wants to attack and uh, go away, but it was a little bit uh, hard because it was Edwin. 
and then everybody just stays good on the wheel and it was a lot of riders then when somebody attacked it was still a lot of riders to to close the gaps you know uh, we had to change locations as we got uh, chased out of our room by some uh, aggressive press room police. Some angry, angry locals ready to probably hit a few beers, wait yeah. for our, you know, slow bums to get out of there. Yeah, totally. Sorry, sorry to them. Yeah, and so we just left a scene in downtown Ordinarda where people were uh, definitely enjoying the fact that there was a pro race going on because we had a DJ, beer tents, people getting rowdy until late, late tonight. And that's the other thing about the Tour of Flanders is like, uh, this is a pretty healthy healthy party going on hoodie. yeah if you like to ride your bike come out here spend a week spend uh, do the do the sportifs uh, you know hit the races you know what's great about this week too is that there's a race every two or three days so you got time to ride your own bike you got time to go to the races time to check out some of the museums great history great food great culture great beer yeah, a lot of great beer. And like you said, there's a lot of great riding. So uh, one thing that I've been doing out here is uh, I've been participating in the Sportives. I came over with Ben Delaney of Roll Massif, and we did some of the rides. We did the Ghent Wevelgem Sportive. We did the Flanders Sportive. And Ben also rode a bunch of the cobblestone climbs, did some bike reviews. And um, Ben did a great interview with Dries Verklita. And Dries oversees uh, Cycling in Flanders, which is actually the government agency which is charged with like like promoting cycling they dream job the dream job Flanders has a government agency that promotes cycling and uh, Ben caught up with Dries to talk about um, how they've created these routes with GPX files that people can download and go ride their favorite Flemish climbs uh, promoting the history and stuff like that so uh, I, I don't know like we don't have anything like that hoodie yeah really uh, just riding around here the, this last couple of days it just shows you uh, what a culture and a, a society and a government can do when they embrace cycling. Yeah. You know, we're going across that bridge by the new stadium over there, crossing, crossing a river, crossing the train tracks, crossing a highway. You know, a nice three, four wide meter lane just built for bikes. I mean, how much does that cost them? And then the infrastructure, and then the people are just really make their way out of uh, make their way for cyclists you know you're riding your bike you come to an intersection the cars are stopping they're letting you go through it's just a whole different vibe over here yeah last night in Antwerp all of these people mobbing around on city bikes you know there's the the dockless city bike program and the bikes are nice and everyone's using them and I, I just love it coming over here and seeing how woven into the fabric the bike is well let's throw to Ben and Dries as they talk about uh, why Flanders has invested in promoting its cycling uh, infrastructure overseas and hoodie i think it's time for you and me to go grab a beer maybe get some dinner i think we're gonna leave the listeners with this interview and we'll catch up with them uh midway through the week so thank you hoodie for making some time uh let's go get some food let's do it i'm ben delaney with roll massif here with dries verklita of cycling in flanders to talk about cycling in Flanders. Now Dries, I love riding in Belgium for a number of reasons and, and one of the primary ones is because it's just so easy. You know, you can come in with really no sense of direction or where you are and the, uh, the infrastructure is in place, the signage is in place, uh, and the culture is in place. Mm -hmm. It seems like recently uh, Belgium has taken some steps to, to modernize it and make it even easier with the um, GPX files so you yeah. can not just look at signposts, but also uh, mm -hmm. you know, have it on your computer. So I'm curious about two things. One, tell me about the, the history of the signposting, the old school method. Yeah. And two, uh, all the cool stuff you have going on on cyclinginflanders.cc uh, where people can get GPX files. Yeah. So let's, let's start with the, the old school. Okay. 
the, the routes are seemingly everywhere. What's the, what's the history of the signage there? Well, we started signing some, uh, bike routes, mainly first for recreational cyclists. So at first you had historically, like every little town had its own bike routes. It could be about some uh, famous uh, guy. It could be uh, the tour of the monasteries or uh, uh, even beer routes, uh, things like that. So that's how it started. Um, then we also added a long distance uh, route. So we have about a thousand kilometers of signposted long distance routes. So you can actually do the the real tour of Flanders, is, which is like the whole all the borders of Flanders, and that's about 800 kilometers. So you can do that as kind of a bike packing uh, uh, adventure trip. Uh, a bit later, we installed uh, a new system, um, and that was kind of that really uh, made that cycling took off here. Uh, it's uh, we it's called Cycling Note Network. So we selected um, about 16,000 kilometers of. Uh, very uh, bike friendly routes car free or car but not too much traffic on and nice uh, scenery and things like that and every time two roads uh, intersect we put a number on so uh, and then we added um, an online um, route planner so you can easily make your own routes uh, with that planner and the only thing you have to do is remember like 10 numbers and you have signposts uh, everywhere around in the area with the numbers on so it's very easy. Everybody can build his own route with it. You're, you're sure you're always on nice routes uh, in, with enjoyable scenery. So that was, uh, that was very important. And for the cycling, of course, um, we have the Tour of Flanders routes signposted and they start the Tour of Flanders uh, center. So there's a yellow loop which focuses more on all the cobble sections. Uh, in a, that's about 20 or 30 kilometers of cobbles in that route. Then we have the red loop which focuses on the old finale of the Ronde van Vlaanderen. So that goes out to the Muur of Gerardsbergen and the Bosburg. So, um, and then we have a, a blue loop which is more the, the finale as it is now. So that's with uh, Koppenberg in it. Then uh, you go to the Quermont and the, the Paterberg. Um, so these were signposted and last year we added because a lot of riders of course they ride with their uh, with their uh, Garmin or Wahoo device uh, so we added the GPX files and uh, we we, we built this new website, uh, cyclinginflanders.cc, which is mainly focused on roads, uh, not only the signposts, but we added extra roads on, on that as well. And if you connect your Strava account with it, you can even see uh, which uh, segments you already did in Flanders, which ones you haven't. And if you, like for instance, you didn't write the Koppenberg yet, you just click it and it shows you how oh, this segment is in this route and you can download the route and it makes it really easy to tick off the boxes and put, uh, complete your bucket list in Flanders. Yeah, the, the ease of use is one thing that I love about the new website also. Like for instance, yesterday I was in Ghent, wanted to get down to the Muir, uh, saw that the Wigo route started in Ghent, went to the Muir. So yeah, yeah. a couple clicks and I was on my way, just following mm -hmm. my computer. Yeah. Couldn't be easier. Uh -huh. Yeah, we, we have like traditionally just the route itself, but we also put the story in. So if you go to the route, you can you will have a video of the route. You have pictures of us riding it uh, with description about the history and all the in, important spots along the route. So it's also a lot of content and the stories behind it that we also want to show. So speaking of stories, we are here today at the Coors Cycling Museum in Rosalara. It's a great place to start rides. There's showers, there's bike lockers, there's more inspiration than you know what to do with. Yeah. Great food, great coffee and beer for afterwards. Mm -hmm. 
Where are other where are other cities or towns you'd recommend as as good starting points for rides? Well, on our website we have a section that's called Cycling Hubs, and these are all good starting points for for your routes because they have the infrastructure to assemble your bike or uh, take a shower and things like that. So yeah, the, the most known will probably be the Tour of Flanders Centre because uh, that's in the heart of the whole uh, yeah Flanders area with all the cobbled climbs. But we also have. Um, and that's in Oudenaarde. That's in Oudenaarde, yes. And then if you go uh, east of Brussels, you have the Sven Nees uh, Cycling Center. So it's uh, they have a permanent cyclocross track that you can ride the whole year long. But there's also Sven Nees, his training routes. They are signposted starting from there. And you can even combine it with uh, like gravel races like Dwarz door het Hageland, which is probably not very known in the States. But here it's, uh, it's, it's a very cool race to do. Um, and in Ghent, then you have the velodrome, Eddie Merckx velodrome. Uh, that's more for your indoor cycling, but it's also uh, very cool to start uh, yeah, your ride over there. If you had one day to ride in Belgium, where would you suggest people go? Oh, probably yeah, just the, the, the most iconic climbs, and that's the Muur and the Koppenberg and the Quermont. So start somewhere in Oudenaarde. You can do a loop about 100 kilometers that takes it all in. If you want to do more, we have a route on our website, the Spartacus route. It's about 180 kilometers, and then you have really all the cobble sections, all the climbs that have been used historically in the Ronde van Vlaanderen. That's good stuff. Thanks very much for your work and for making cycling that much cooler in Belgium. You're very welcome. I hope to see many Americans on the roads here. Thanks. <laughs>